You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. It's not unusual to hear about literary works that are in progress. But what happens when a young man you'd expect to write a book decides to do so in secret? Or when a second book gets published first? From member station KUSP, Rick Kleffel goes beyond the secrecy that shrouded the first novel by a young man with a literary family pedigree. His father is a famous op-ed writer, and his mother works in the publishing industry. Nathaniel Rich was always destined for a literary life. His parents were not surprised when he started writing film criticism. A lot of uh, other writers, when they tell their parents what they they want to do for a living are often greeted with sort of looks of consternation or, or anger. So I got a little bit of that, but they couldn't really take it too far because they, they had set the bad example to begin with. First novels by young men often feature a young man as the protagonist. In Rich's first novel, The Mayor's Tongue, a young man named Eugene living in New York is hired to research his favorite writer, the entirely fictional Constance Eakins. To keep the novel from seeming too autobiographical, Rich interleaved Eugene's story with the story of two old men, Mr. Schmitz and Mr. Rutherford. And I realized at a certain point I could not escape certain basic things, like one of the protagonists being a young man in New York, or at least starting there. But it was important to me to have the story be much bigger than that, and, and the Mr. Schmitz and Rutherford strand is very much a part of that. In the mayor's tongue, when Eugene enters the library of his employer, it is almost as if he steps into a novel within a novel. He's sent to Europe and given the last known address of the mysterious Constance Eakins, which proves to be the heart of a mystical borderland between Italy and the imagination. Mr. Rutherford and Mr. Schmitz also find themselves drawn to this landscape. In this reading from the novel, Mr. Schmitz lies awake at night before his departure and regards his aging wife. It occurs to Mr. Schmitz that beauty, unlike love, doesn't fade. It becomes grotesque. Yellow hair turns to straw. Translucent, pale skin folds up and coarsens like canvas. Bones push out the skin like tent poles. Eyes pinken and distort. Love, on the other hand, enters a desert and dies of thirst. If only love became grotesque, too, there would at least be some fascination in its decline. Before he graduated from Yale, Rich was living in Italy and working as an intern in Milan for a publishing company. There he began making notes for the mayor's tongue. Rich returned to the States and moved to San Francisco, where he began work on a second book, a nonfiction work of film criticism titled San Francisco Noir. It was a straightforward project that he felt comfortable discussing with his peers and parents. While I was writing the noir book, I I was doing that during the mornings and at in the afternoons and evenings, very secretly and without telling anybody, I was writing the novel. I didn't want to be, you know, the guy who goes around town talking about his book and then it never comes out and it's, or it's a disaster. Working on two projects at once gave Rich both perspective and inspiration. The nonfiction work went much quicker than the novel, which he'd started three years earlier. Rich realized that he was going to finish his second book before he finished his first novel. The critical work was was sort of like my schoolwork during the day, even though I, I loved I loved the project. And the, at night, it was more uh, the untethered fiction writing, which I felt like allowed allowed me to go into a different place. For Rich, the fact that the novel was being written in secret gave him further reason for secrecy. The secrecy inspired and enabled his creativity. 
but the discipline he'd learned and used to write nonfiction gave him cause to worry about the results of unfettered imagination. I thought maybe because I wasn't talking about it that it was just getting crazier. The book itself was getting crazier and crazier and crazier and going into some strange part of my mind because it wasn't being exposed to an outside reader who might uh, inject some kind of logicality to it. When Rich finished and published his second book, San Francisco Noir, he returned to New York where he became an editor for the Paris Review. Though he worked with skilled editors who could have acted as first readers to give him feedback on his novel, he continued to write in secret. I spent a long time t reducing the craziness factor to a more manageable uh manageable amount. Um, I was the first through 12th reader. <laughs> More than five years after he began writing his first novel and book, Rich turned in the manuscript of The Mare's Tongue to his agent. He revealed his secret to his family and friends. He's writing a new novel with the working title of Future World. With that information alone, we already know more than anyone knew about his first book, The Mare's Tongue, before it was published. For NPR News, I'm Rick Kleffel. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.